Welcome to this episode of Twice Told Tales podcast, the Irontastic series. Today, we're going to talk to Benjamin, who is from the U.S. and currently lives in Tajikistan. So, Benjamin, can you please introduce yourself? Uh, yeah, sure. So, I um, I, I was born in California. So, I'm from, you know, as, as you said, I'm from the United States of America. And uh, I grew up there. I converted to Islam when I was 21 years old, and that was um, that was in 2007. And a few years after that, I decided that I really wanted to study Persian language. Um, I, I fell in love with the language and Iranian culture, and I studied it for a few years at Cal State San Bernardino. And then I, in the process, I met my wife, who is from Tajikistan. And then I moved to Tajikistan, and a few years later, um, I was invited to study Persian literature at Ferdowsi University in Mashhad, and uh, it, I just graduated this year. So that's perfect. So yeah, that's great. So um, how long did you live in Mashhad, Iran? Five years. Five years. Okay. Great. So can you tell me like why and how you became interested in the Persian languages language and how did you first uh, like hear about Iran and become interested mm. in the country and the language? Yeah, sure. So um, what's interesting is that um, I guess it, there, there was something about like maybe it was the timing that I was born in or something. I was born in, in 1986 and um, just like in the place where I grew up, like in my community, in my family, I never really never heard anything about Iran. Like I just didn't know anything about it. And so maybe like um, some Americans, they had heard negative things about Iran because of, you know, the history between the, the two countries. For me, it was like completely a blank slate. And even the like the only thing I can remember growing up is my grandfather, who was um, my mother's father, who was a very interesting person. Um, he and I guess this is this is typical for maybe older Americans, but he would sometimes mention how Iran had changed its name, right? <laughs> so he right. sometimes sometimes he would tell me right right he would tell me like there is a country that used to be called Persia. But it changed its name to Iran. And I was like, okay, like that's that's the only thing that I knew about it. And um, so growing up in our our family, um, we are kind of, you know, we're we're mixed. But all of my like from my mom's side and my dad's side, they're all European. Um, but my, on my mom's side of the family through her mother um, and her father, too, kind of they're they're more English. So. We, you know, we grew up, um, I'm a native English speaker, and we kind of had like some some English identity on my mother's side. And um, and the, just the fact that we were living in Southern California meant that we grew up around uh, it, things from Asia, right? Like there there's lots of Asians living in California. And so like the kind of like the East was like um, something that we kind of vaguely knew about. And also I, I think that the fact... Um, the fact that India was part of the British Empire was really hugely influential on the culture of English speaking people and our language and everything. So um, and my parents, you know, my parents are 
are baby boomers and they grew up in the 1960s so they they knew like you know the 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 beatles went to india and they knew like you know ravi shankar was like a household name and everything so it kind of had like this um this this positive affiliation at least with indian culture and um for me growing up in in california that was some all of that stuff was really interesting to me especially as i you know as i i grew from a child into a teenager um i was i was more and more fascinated by by foreign cultures and i wanted to like you know i wanted to learn everything and like try every food and 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 everything and we just had this um you know like we thought indian music was great and um sometimes we would see like there would be bollywood movies on tv and so on um when i went to college i met people at my college who uh, were from pakistan and they spoke urdu and i started to a little bit i started to learn about their language and because because of this interest that i already had in their culture um i was also attracted to once i i heard them speaking the language i was like you know this is really interesting because i I, I was always fascinated by language since I was a child. So if I if I met somebody who spoke another language, which when when I was small, I didn't meet many people um, who spoke a language other than English. Like I, I was kind of like in this bubble. So when I went to college, it was like I I met people from more diverse backgrounds than I did I had before. So I was meeting all of these people. And I was like, teach me your language. You know, teach me like a few words or a sentence or something, and. Um, I thought that that Urdu was particularly attractive um, and it, it was fun. And also um, I had studied Spanish in high school and I was also really fascinated by the similarities that I discovered between like, you know, like like Urdu is spoken in South Asia. And I was like, why why is it so similar to Spanish? sometimes right like i was kind of i didn't know anything about linguistics back then but I, it was like on my own i was kind of discovering like the the indo-european language family for myself and like this this was like the coolest thing ever and it just it just so happened that not only was i interested in language but i was also interested in um in religion i started when i was 18 i started reading about the religions of the world and this kind of this also like interest that i had in 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 theology and the philosophy of religion um and kind of like even from like a, a anthrop uh, anthrop anthropological point of view it was really fascinating but then like um you know when i was 18 and i started reading about religion i didn't believe in any religion at that time i was raised in a christian household but i had at that point i had already decided that christianity wasn't for me and i was kind of like an agnostic so i was like oh, well i don't know like if, uh, about anything but then like all of the research and reading personal reading that i did it kind of rubbed off on me right like eventually without in, the, an intention of choosing a religion to like i did i wasn't one of those people that's like okay i have to find a religion right but eventually i had read so much that i started like building this conviction inside of myself that I maybe I wasn't um, so quick to recognize at first that I thought that Islam was was correct. I thought Islam was was the most true religion. And so eventually, you know, by the time I was 21, I had I basically reached this conclusion that like, yes, I definitely I should become Muslim because that's just who I am. Right. So I kind of like I figured out who I was 
And then afterwards, I started going to a masjid in Southern California that was mainly attended by Iranians. And so as I found, just happened to find myself in a community of Persian speakers, I heard them speaking their language. And I was like, whoa, what is this? I've never heard of such a thing before. Like, like this language was like, it was a total mystery to me. I was, I didn't know anything about Iran. So this, of course, um, it piqued my curiosity and I started bugging my Iranian friends like at the masjid. I started telling them, you know, t t tell me how to say like, you know, something in your language. And um, I once I started learning it, like a few like basic vocabulary and stuff, this like light bulb went off over my head, which was I had already um, had some experience with Urdu and I was like, wait a minute. These are so similar. Like, then all of a sudden, I noticed that, like, oh, um, Persian, Persian is is it, right? Like, Persian is the thing, the great, like, you know, um, a great repository of of language and literature and culture and poetry and all all of that. The richness of Persian. That's the thing that had in uh, enriched Urdu so much. That, um, you know, by the time I had heard like all of these um, Urdu songs and poems that uh, I immediately recognized that, ah, the, the really the really cool thing about this poetry um, is that it's got Persian in it. <laughs> and so I, I just went straight to Persian and I was like, this this is the thing that I want and um, mm -hmm. like the, what I was looking for. And so I, I could honestly say that Persian was the most attractive language and 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 as you can imagine like um as as a muslim person who was also close to uh, those you know communities like south asian community and iranian community i really had this um this strong feeling and regard for the prestige of the persian language i looked at it like it was really something like uh some and this is something that you know pe people in some parts of the world like south asia for example they can really relate to this that persian is something that gives you a feeling that if I can speak this language, it means that I am, I am educated and I'm cultured. And, you know, I just, um, I loved it. And it was easier to learn than like, for example, I had in the past, I tried, you know, I studied Arabic a little bit. I studied Urdu a little bit. Those were more difficult languages. But then when I found that, you know, Persian, Persian was both, um, so so much more attractive to me and at the, on the other hand it was a lot easier because you know the grammar is relatively more simple so it's mm -hmm. like oh this this is um this is convenient as well because it's not for me also as a my native language is also an indo-european language i felt this affinity for it like this is not so hard for me to to get into and also um i was i was living in a community of speakers so I, I basically i had the the opportunity right i was i was around persian speakers all the time so it just all, everything like perfectly kind of fit together like um you know persian is an indo-european language but it has a lot of um, vocabulary that's taken from arabic because of the the islamic culture and me, me being a muslim that was also like that fit right perfectly so it just all it all came together <laughs> Yeah, that's yeah. fascinating. Do you remember some of the first uh, sources that you read about Islam or Iran that were uh, like 
that uh, kind of made you more curious about uh, Iran and Islam or uh, that you found that that's something that you want to learn more about? Oh, that's something a good inspiring. question. Something inspiring. Right. So when I became Muslim, I actually didn't have any Iranian friends. Like I didn't know people. I, like I, I had maybe sometime I had met an Iranian person before, but, um, you know, like, like there there were two kids in my high school who they were always talking about how they're Persian, right? But they they had assimilated so well into American culture and society that you you couldn't tell that there was anything different about them. So like I had met Iranians before and and not even realized that they were Iranian because they would they did and speak a language their language and uh, they weren't in some cases they weren't even muslim you know so like um by the time i became muslim i had met muslims who were from you know arab countries and from south asia for example like i i knew people who were palestinian or egyptian or um or pakistani for example and um there was kind of like not not anyone who was iranian or or even um or even Afghan. So I kind of, um, I can't, I approached Islam kind of like the first uh, Muslim friends that I had, um, for the most part, they were Arabs. And I had, uh, I had come to Islam by first by reading the Quran. So I, I started by reading the, the English translation of the Quran. And I had, I had read, um, a very general basic, um, uh, texts about Islam, like, you know, like, like, what is Islam? What do Muslims believe? That kind of, you know, basic stuff. Um, but just, um, just from the meeting, the Muslim people that I knew, which I, I thought they were very nice people that they had, they had good character and they, they would always, um, they would always, uh, attribute the positive things, uh, in their ethics and their character to their religion. So they would always say that, you know, this is, um, this is because of Islam. This is because of Prophet Muhammad. So they would they would tell me stories about the Prophet, peace be upon him. And I got this impression that like, okay, these are uh, great people. They have a great Prophet, and I need to read the Quran and see like, what does this book say, right? And then once I once I started reading the Quran, I was like, okay, this is um, the Quran contains a message that um, that confronts you like right i was confronted with this and then i was like hmm, okay i i've reached a crossroads in my life and i have to make a decision now so it, iranians in, in persian it hadn't hadn't yet entered the picture really but then after i became muslim or i i decided to become muslim i joined a community i started going to a mosque in southern california it happened to be a shia mosque um it was actually the closest one to the place that I was living at the time. Like it was it was literally like down the street and I found it on Google Maps. So And that was to, the reason you went to like you didn't know if it's Shia or Sunni or I didn't, didn't I didn't know. Idea. I didn't know. And in fact um by I went there not knowing that it was a Shia masjid. And just um by that time a, a tiny bit of the the negativity about Shias had rubbed off on me from, you know, from some uh, people that I had met or talked to. Or, in fact, it, you would see things on the news because, remember, this was like 2007. So, like, um, even someone who I wasn't really interested in, in that stuff very much, but, like, you know, I watch TV. And the way they, you know, they would portray, like, like the, the United States had invaded Iraq 
and then they would they would show like the Shias in Iraq, and they they make you they just make you think that like like Shias are radical Muslims, and like I didn't know anything. I I knew from like from a book that like okay Shias you know they believe Imam Ali Ali Islam is the is the uh, successor of the Prophet. And the Sunnis went with, you know, Abu Bakr. That was it. Like, I didn't, I, I just had two ideas that um, that they they were different from each other in some way that I didn't understand. Uh, I thought maybe, I thought maybe Shias were more like conservative or extreme or something. And I thought also I had this conviction that, you know, it doesn't matter, right? I thought that all, all Muslims are Muslims. So whether it's a Sunni mosque or a Shia mosque, I don't mind because I I am not here to you know get into like a particular uh, madhab or anything like you know particular school of thought. I was just, I was a new Muslim, so I was like, look, I just want to as a Muslim, I just want to pray and fast, right, and go to Friday prayer and and do the normal stuff. And so I thought, okay, Sunni Shia doesn't really matter to me. So by the time that I went to the mosque and I the once after I got there, I realized that oh, this is a a Shia mosque. I said. Um, I said, oh, it's okay. Like, I respect them equally, and I'll just, I'll talk to them. I'll see what they say. You know, I'll listen to the khutbah, and, and I'll, if, if it's good, it's it's good. If it's not good, I'll just go, I'll find another masjid, right? So, anyway, it was a wonderful community. Um, they left a great, you know, impression on me. I was like, yes, this is, you know, when I met them, I was like, this is the, the Islam that I had imagined when I read the Quran. I was like, this is what I what I thought the religion is. And... Of course, this uh, I didn't, you know, I I became Shia, and it wasn't it wasn't just because I met them, right? I went home and I I started reading a, a whole bunch about it. So then I I hit the you know, I, books and articles and everything. I was like, okay, well, you know, what is the Sunni position on X, Y, and Z? What did the Shia say about it? And then after you know, after studying more, I came to the conclusion. I said, you know what, I agree more with the Shias, right? So I kind of, um, I had this uh, this evolution of, I became Muslim, and then I became Shia, and I, I wasn't totally familiar with Iranian people, but I was getting to know them slowly through my masjid community. So like, but the first, uh, and I have to say, when I started going to the, the masjid, um, the Iranians who were there, even though I think they were the majority of the community, they were a little bit distant. Like, they, they're kind of... Um, slightly closed off as a community right there's a little bit of like a maybe an in crowd and a lot of the people my age who like first like reached out to me to be friends like as because i'm in a convert um a lot of my peers were you know they were they were lebanese or iraqi so i still like hadn't gotten to know iranians very much but slowly over the course of like a couple of years right i got to and I and I, I did have this um, I had this interest right this motivation of I wanted to learn their language and I kind of I guess I reached a point where I had been in the community long enough where people were they were then familiar with me and they kind of they appreciated the fact that I loved their culture that I you know I loved their their foods and I was starting just starting to learn their language and then all of a sudden there was like this they opened up and like all of the Iranian people in my masjid, they all wanted to be friends with me. Like all of the sudden it was like, I was like in the group, right? And while I was like 
going through through that journey of kind of like uh, getting close to the community and discovering their their culture, I started learning about Iran as a you know as a foreign country. So on the internet, you know, I would start reading more about Iran, Iranian culture, Iranian history. I watched like at home, I watched all these documentaries. Like I started watching Iranian films and I started watching like travel travel logs to Iran. And I just got this, you know, from the outside, I got this vision of like Iran is, is this really amazing country, right? It's really uh, beautiful and it has like an amazing like rich history and culture and amazing people and, and talented people and educated people and this kind of like iran became like this very um like i i just loved it like i loved iran and this was um you know this was way back in like 2000 and like 8 9 2010 right like i hadn't um i hadn't even any thought of if, was it even possible for me to visit Iran? Right? It was, kind of, it was kind of like. But you know, it it kind of also didn't matter so much because um, I had my in Southern California. I had my Iranian community. Like I was in California. I was living in a in a, a little version of Iran. It was like I was already there, right? So I just had this um in my life. I had this strong connection to Iran. And this, obviously, it, it led me down this path of I decided to get serious about learning the language. And I thought, like, I'll never learn the language, uh, satis you know, satisfactorily until I study. Like, I can't, I can't just, you know, I can't just hang out at the masjid, like, every week and be like, you know, salam, chaturi, right? And then just my Persian hit a limit. And I was like, no, I need to study, right? And I, I started looking for programs where I could I could get like a you know like a real teacher, and yeah. um, and learn the language. And then and I did just you know purely out of personal interest, but but something which started small, it grew bigger and bigger until like eventually, my my whole life just became about that. Which is, you know, by the time that I had finished my courses at, at Cal State, I had learned to to speak Persian, and then all of the sudden, I was, you know, I was planning to move to a Persian-speaking country and ma get married to someone who speaks Persian. Like we, like my wife and I, after we met each other, the the language that we communicated in was Persian, right? So like we we spoke Farsi to each other, like that since the beginning, basically, and that's you know. That's interesting. <laughs> Yeah, yeah that's and you met your wife in California. Well, sort of. We um we hadn't met in person. Um, I was when I was at Cal State San Bernardino, I was teaching myself Tajik uh, alongside Farsi because um the program that I was in it was all you know like it was it was only Iranians. Uh, in the program was like it was like entirely focused on Iran, right? Um, the Persian language is um is actually a, a big thing in the world that goes uh, well beyond. Iran's borders, but it was a very like Iran centric, you know, community and program, which, which of course, you know, that was okay with me because I, I was also interested in Iran. Um, but then I, I learned that, you know, um, that there is a country called Tajikistan. And, and th this actually was because I, I have Slavic heritage. Um, my father's family is Polish. They originally, they came from Poland. And so because I, because I had this, um, 
kind of like as as a Polish American, I had the Slavic identity. I was also interested in, you know, I wanted to learn more about Russia and like in in the Soviet Union. That was like really interesting to me because, you know, when I you have to remember, like when I was born, the Soviet Union still existed. And then but by the time that I was old enough to realize what it is, it had no it no longer existed. So like mm-hmm. I guess the the historian in me was like very fascinated by by this you know thing that happened, and so because I because I was interested in in like Eastern Europe and um, I was trying to at one point I started to try to learn Russian as well after I I started Persian. Um, a, a friend of mine who noticed my interest made the suggestion that he's like oh. Uh, you know, Benjamin, I see that you're into Persian, um, and but if you have an interest in Russian as well, why don't you learn Tajik? And I was like, what's Tajik? I've never heard of of such a thing. And so he said, oh, Tajik is, uh, you know, it's the Persian speakers who uh, lived inside the Soviet Union. They speak Persian, but they write Persian in the, the Russian alphabet, the Cyrillic alphabet. And I was like, wow, that's the most fascinating thing that I that I ever <laughs> ever heard of, and so I went and started to because I because I already knew Farsi, I started to read and I I had just learned the Russian alphabet, so I was like, oh, I could put you know two and two together and start start reading these these texts in Tajik. I ended up joining a Facebook group that was dedicated to Tajik language, and I was active. Uh, learning it. So I was in the group, I was writing posts in Tajik, I was asking Tajiks to teach me like how, you know, how do you, how do you spell in your, your writing? Like, mm-hmm. is this correct? Is, is this correct? And so my wife was in that group as well. So we, we ended up meeting through Facebook. And um, it was, it was very, you know, like, serendipitous. But after we had, we had learned of each other's existence, and um, we asked, we chatted a little bit. We asked each other some questions. Um, all of a sudden, we realized that um, people um, from her family, uh, particularly it was her brother. Um, she said, my brother lives in California. I was like, what? Where, does, where in California does he live? He lives in Orange County. And then I realized that I had met her brother before, that he had gone to my masjid and we had seen each other. And so I was like, oh, it was like, she and I were, even though like we were living like on opposite ends of the globe, it was like we were part of the same community. This is kind of like the um, the international like Shia community. It's like we come from countries all over the world, but when we when we meet each other, it's like we're one and the same. Like I, I met people from, and you know, California is very very international. People all over the world come from all over the world come to California. So I was always, you know, anytime I, I met a Shia from another country, I still felt like, you know, it, this guy is from somewhere completely different, but we have the same, like, we have the same way of life. We do the same things. We like, we think the same things. We say the same things as because, because of our religion, right? So just feeling this, um, this connectedness through the community, it made me think like, oh, you know, this person is um, actually a, a, a good match for me except <laughs> that she lives so far away. So um, in the beginning, you know, I didn't really think that we, there would be much of a chance for us to get married. But as time went by, um, and, and in fact, at the time that we met, 
she was studying um, in Iran, so she was uh, going to Al Zahra University in Tehran studying English literature. So, so I was studying Persian language. She was studying English literature, and um, you know, we finished our studies. She graduated and she moved back to Tajikistan. I, I had finished the Persian program at Cal State San Bernardino, and I was like, you know what? Uh, we should meet each other, right? That's logically the next step. And so um, I I made a plan to travel to Tajikistan. I went there to here to Dushanbe, and we met each other in person. We met each other for the first time, and then, you know. Uh, we met and we talked and I, I met her family and I talked to her family and then after some time we decided to get married. Oh, that's that's interesting. That is, yeah. That's yeah. really wild that you met her brother before you even knew yeah. and you were able to recall well, that's that. Like, that's really crazy coincidence. Yeah. Well, and it's like, all how... mm -hmm. Go ahead. Go ahead. Um, no, it's yeah, interesting keep... that I knew Benjamin uh, and I knew uh, like uh, his wife yeah. separately, and I didn't know that they knew each other. And suddenly yeah. I heard that they are married. So it was like, what? How did they think wow. that? How did that like, happen? Because uh, your wife and I was were supposed to meet when she went. She was in um, in Iran, but oh, it didn't yeah. happen. Yeah, she, she told me that story. Yeah, like, and we we, 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 all, we almost met each other, but exactly. it didn't happen. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Yeah, but so and, and you like and I knew each other through like, Facebook, right? Like, exactly. I think it's about was, the time like 2010 or something, right? Yeah. 2010. Yeah, face, Facebook was still like a, a new phenomenon, and people like like people mm -hmm. in our community they discover that like like wow, Facebook is like this tool that like connects us with each other. This was back when like people didn't hate Facebook, right? Like not like now, Facebook is is really bad. You know, nobody likes. Yeah, Facebook. it's very different. Yeah, it's very different. I but think it, it, it was it was a phenomenon. Yeah, that's true. I remember like uh, around 2009 and 2010 when there was, uh, you know, there were there was a lot of negative news about Iran um, yeah. on the TV. I I had a lot of friend requests from people on Facebook who wanted to know the truth about what was going on in Iran because mm -hmm. I was living in Iran and I spoke English. So that's when I met a lot of uh, like really interesting people. And I think that's about the time that we became friends on uh, Facebook. Yeah. Yeah. And it, yeah, uh, yeah. Facebook was very, very different at that time. It was like really useful. and It was very different. Yeah. At that time, I can remember when I went to um, I started going to Cal State San Bernardino. It was, it was 2011. And just around that time, I can remember I was so stressed out because I thought that there was a very good chance that the United States was going to go to war with Iran. And I don't, you know, I don't know if you remember clearly like what it was like in 2011, but things got really bad. And I was thinking like, oh God, I hope nothing happens, right? And then like eventually things went in a more positive direction. Like, and I, and I breathed like a big sigh of relief. I was like, oh, you know, like, like now like I can rest easy that, you know, Iran is safe. <laughs> <laughs> basically yeah. and yeah but, but i we, also sorry okay oh, uh, well i probably this, this is probably going to come up eventually but um i i also wanted to mention that the years that i spent in iran it was from the begin the very beginning of 2017 until now which was basically like almost the the entirety of donald trump's presidency was was when i was in iran so i i had 
had the timing was so strange that when I got my visa to study at Ferdowsi University, I when I went to Iran, Obama was still president and the JCPOA was still in effect. And every like the atmosphere was so positive, like everybody thought like, you know what, things are going to be great. Right. And then all of the sudden, after I got there, things just just went horribly, completely wrong. And if I, I think if I, had, um, if I had applied like a year later, I might not have been able to to study there. But I was since I was already there, and you know everything was you know cool. Like I had my my residency and my visa, so then I was able I was able to stay and continue my studies. Um, but really, that was another, that was a dark chapter in the you know the history of like relations between. I mean, it's all one one long dark chapter anyway. But but anyway, the, um, yeah. It was it was a uh, terrible. So twenty eleven was another time where like you know things were bad and then they they looked like they were getting better again and then you know yeah that's true. That you happened. phrased it yeah. as as things got went wrong and I just like to pose the possibility that maybe it's it's actually the way the way they want they want it to go because we have Biden he has full control of everything now mm-hmm. the Democrats and they have no interest in in pursuing anything that looks positive. So I think. Perhaps yeah. they do go on these cycles of threat and relaxation and threat and relaxation to just keep the pressure and the tension yeah. up. So I, I don't know if it's, if it's actually something that we can blame on on Trump. I mean, he's definitely a deplorable politician yeah. like Biden, but he played his part. But, you know, the the what what the United States does that's wrong to Iran, like, for example, the sanctions. Um, that's way older than Trump, so you can't exactly. blame him for everything. Yeah, and I would yeah, say exactly. the Democrats and Republicans are kind of a fake divide that are meant to kind of shield each other from blame, but the but the pressure is co- coming from a root deeper root. Um, yeah, in the U.S. and I would love to to get your your commentary or your feelings on as an American uh, because I mean, you you were in one of the most like uh i would say culturally from an american standpoint you know you think of like the valley girls or whatever i mean in southern (laughs) california you have some of the most brainless stereotypically american cultural uh communities sometimes sometimes. so like i'm saying you come from an area (laughs) that is like can be easily like classified into this kind of lowest common denominator of Americana. Uh, and mm. so I would just love to know how you would communicate to that kind of group, both what Islam means to you and why it's why it's so appealing to you uh, as a person, why it might be appealing to them. Mm. Uh, and and, and yeah, as a religion, as a cultural influence, and then how, how you envision the dynamic between the West and the East in terms of <clears throat> like kind of the ideas of cultural ideas of freedom. Like I know mm. having lived in Central Asia myself, like the idea of freedom when you live in a, a oh, gov- yeah. <laughs> government that's a weak government that has very little power over the people. Oh, in many yeah. cases, you can feel extremely free, uh, whereas you yes. in the U.S. every day, it seems like we're encroaching on less freedoms uh, as we every, every day I wake up and they see that my country is less free and so I don't know if you could just, this is a kind of a lot of things to talk about, but you go, 
go with whatever you want on there. But I think Islam, culture, and politics, how that relates between the East-West divide would be interesting. Oh, that's, yeah, that's, that's really broad. Um, well, I, I'm the kind of person who I kind of like part of my life is, is like I'm from, you know, what you would call the West, like I'm from California. Um, but I had this long journey of like feeling this, you know, this connectedness and kind of like, um, I don't know, it's kind of like bridging across the divide where it's a, having this experience as someone who, you know, I learned, uh, I learned an Eastern language. I, I got into like a, like kind of like adopted a, a Eastern culture and I moved, you know, I, I I went and I lived in Asia, all right? Like I lived I lived for years in Tajikistan and I lived for several years in Iran. And I always um, would focus on the things that the many, many things that we have in common. Like there's really there's so much that that connects us and brings us together. And a lot of it is in our history, actually. So like you can kind of see that, um, for example, the the culture of, of people in Europe uh, used to be in the past cult culturally they used to be much more similar to people in the in the Middle East and they've kind of like been moving further and further apart recently but it's not it's not a black and white thing right it's not like totally across the board like we're completely different it's kind of like um you know like I I grew up in a, a family that we still remembered like some of our like European culture and heritage and we came from a Christian background. And so like when I became Muslim, I, I found a lot that was familiar actually, you know, like there's a lot of things in Islam that, that I, I had learned growing, learned growing up from my family or I just, I, I knew some things about, you know, European history and culture. And I realized that, yeah, you know, we, we had this, right? Like when I, when I started living as a Muslim and seeing like, you know, experiencing all the things that Muslims do, um, some of the things that that we did um, were things that uh, were not unfamiliar. So, like, I'll, I'll give you a couple examples, right? Um, so, for, on my mother's, actually, on both sides of the family, um, they because my my dad's Polish and my mother is, um, you know, her her mother was uh, her her mother's father was French, and it's it's kind of worked out that they were all Roman Catholic. So, like, the whole like both sides of the family were Catholic, and uh, I knew a little bit about the history of of Catholicism, right? Like things that my mother had told me and my grandmother and things that I read about. So you had like, uh, for example, the Second Vatican Council was in the 1960s. So I, I wasn't alive at that time, but my mother was alive. She was a teenager. And um, my mom told me that she remembers when they went to church, when they went inside the church, they had to cover their hair, right? They had to wear what they called a chapel veil. And so my mom was old, is old enough that when she was young and went to church, they had to wear, you know, what in Farsi, what they call rusari, like they had to cover their hair, like a, or you would call that a hijab in, 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 you know, popular English, a head covering, headscarf. And, um, you know, when I, when I read about, you know, why, how this changed, why it changed, you know, at the, at the Second Vatican Council, the Catholic Church decided that this is, this was one of the things that they were going to change about their services. And there were a couple other things that they changed, which is, um, uh, for example, when they would have mass in, in the church, 
it used to be that everyone faced the same direction so that the priest would face in one direction and everyone behind the priest would be facing in the same direction which is what we, we do as muslims when we pray together and also they prayed in their their liturgical language which was latin um at least at least in this um you know this this rite of the the catholic church i guess it's the roman rite and so my my mom when she was a kid she was going to to religious services where she had to cover her hair and they all faced the same direction and they prayed in a in the language of you know ba basically i i'm not don't want to draw too much of a parallel here but basically they're they're praying in the language of their holy book and uh that was something that you know in the united states it was it was more normal in the past and now you have people who they've ne they never heard of such a thing they're like what we never you know they look at muslims and they're like oh muslims are so weird like they do they do these like really different things that we don't do but it was only like it was like 50 years ago that a lot of the, the things were more similar or like for example um you know sometimes people they 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 think that um that gender segregation is, is a problem like like in american culture they don't ten, tend to regard gender segregation too fondly but just uh, you know like a few decades ago in the united states that was a lot more normal than it is now i mean the the us had you know had col colleges and universities that were particularly for women right so they even in our country we even had uh, gender segregated universities and um you know i wish that people would understand that in in a lot of these ways even if it's just um uh, historical we have a lot more in common or had a lot more in common than they think they should they shouldn't like they shouldn't regard people in the united states they shouldn't regard muslims as as really so strange and distant from them in fact you can you can find people from maybe from some other parts of the world that are that are even more different from you know the the average american than, than a muslim person is um but they they kind of just have a prejudice which says that you know i my society tells me or the tv tells me that muslims are the most you know they're the most different and they're they're strange and we don't have anything in common with them but um you know i, I of course i i would invite people to become muslim and to join me in, in my faith right like islam is an open faith and of course i i have a lot of positive things to say about it but even for like you know there's people who won't become muslim but if they choose not to become muslim i hope that they um at, at the very least they could regard islam more positively you know what i mean like they they should learn that you know we're not so different where we can be you know coexist basically well, yeah, I mean, it's this... not some exotic religion that has like that's very different from other religion or something like that. Yeah, because that's what many people in the West probably think of Islam. <clears throat> but I, I think also like religion tends to there's a cultural component, like you were saying, the community that you got involved with is really important to you. And so Absolutely. I would say that like I would just stimulate conversation by postulating that perhaps it's the West that has been diverging away from traditional values and away from mm -hmm. traditional lifestyle of and and spiritual lifestyle of of you know most of eurasia and so mm -hmm. the western sort of this cultural uh i don't know how to describe it but like the postmodern uh kind of bizarreness that we see uh, evolving mm -hmm. every day is is 
you know, Islam and the cultures around Islam has sort of tried to put a, like, put the brakes on and kind of maintain some kind of stability. And the West is sort of kind of falling away from that. And so I don't know if you have any observations on that living in three different mm. countries. Yeah, I mean, this is this is a little bit complicated. So like, um, I, I maybe without going into too much detail, right? It does seem that like in in more recent times in the United States and, and maybe in Western Europe. So like in the past, maybe like twenty years or thirty years, they've they've kind of um, uh, maybe like socially or morally or ethically, they've kind of like diverged quite a bit from what's what's more normative in in the world, basically. And I think a lot of people in America, they they maybe don't really understand that like um sometimes there there's issues like social issues that they feel really strongly about they feel like you know because of um the i don't know the social or political atmosphere in the united states they feel like you know uh there's there's a certain thing like it has to be this way and um everybody has to you know get on board with this and support this and they they kind of maybe don't understand that like most of the people in the world don't really like they can't relate to that it doesn't like it kind of doesn't make sense and growing up in the united states um I, you know i was a kid in the 1990s i kind of felt like at that time um there was kind of the still like um as maybe as uh, different or, or similar as the united states was from the rest of the world at that time it's still kind of felt like most at least i could i could be totally biased like this this could just be like my my naive point of view that I had when I was a child but I th I thought that the United States was kind of more of a, more of a normal country like we were kind of like staying with like within the mostly within the uh, I don't know I, I I don't have the language to to talk about this very well things were okay and then like it seems as time went on now now that I'm much older right like I'm now I'm 35 um I, I I lived through through these different decades, like the '90s and the 2000s, and then the 2010s, and like now in, in the 2020s, I look at America and I'm like, you know, this is not really this is not the society that I I grew up in even, and I just don't understand like you know they they recently they just gone like like way out there, and so I don't know, um, not sure what well, to tell you, but yeah, I could add this just interesting. It's like. You know, during because we're both concurrent in our experiences with America, and I would say that, you know, uh, the war on terror narratives, where it was basically the conservatives sort of uniting against Islam, oh, is, that's horrible. It's very yeah. ironic because what I see now is I see that conservatives have so much more in common with the Muslim world and with Muslims in general, especially mm -hmm. cr Christian conservatives. Than, than the liberals or the, uh, you know, that this interesting divide we have in the West between the people who want to kind of maintain a stable <clears throat> society and maintain sort of uh, uh, cultural and, and so social norms uh, has is competing with this new kind of other agenda and mm. and I, I just see so much possible unity between the cons quote unquote conservative whatever that means in the U.S. But mm. the the religious um, Christian conservative group, I just it, it's bizarre to me because culturally they seem very connected in that they both basically want to have a, a stable existence 
and uh, mm. and the during the war on terror there was much divide there and I don't see that so much anymore I see there's a, still quite a bit of issues with racism but it's it's uh, I think there's a potential window for that I don't know if you see any of that kind of dynamic that the left seems to be really uh, yeah. or the whatever we call the left this progressive i don't even like that term because i've i've i come from the yeah, left so i don't i, I got you <laughs> yeah so it's hard to even you. talk about that but you have any comments on that yeah um well i'm not you know i'm not really fond of of the way politics works in the united states so I, i'm not really happy with like there there is this, this very uh, stark polarization where the where there's this concept of like uh there's a, a liberal and a conservative side and these these two concepts have like take taken to represent they've come to represent things that like um as a muslim you're kind of stuck between a rock and a hard place because you have like you have these impossible choices which is you know if i go with these guys um there's this some of it's if it's is good for me but there's this major problem here and then on the other side you it's the same thing like you look at the other side and you're like okay these these guys have some things but then you're like but this this part is really problematic right so it's kind of like um you know as uh, as a Muslim, I kind of felt like uh, the only people who we agree with is um, we can <laughs> generally agree with is ourselves. Um, but uh, but no, of course that you know we can we can find some some bridges to build between between us and other communities. But but yeah, it's really difficult. Um, uh, for example, uh, since the time that I was old enough to vote, uh, which was I guess uh, two thousand and and four maybe was the first president presidential election that i voted in um the main problem that i had with conservatives and it's not it's not that i disagreed with like you know um too much with with everything like you know what they had like a an economic policy or a social you know social values economic values i could understand that like you know you know um maybe i didn't agree with with all of it 100 percent but it kind of made more sense to me. But then the thing that really put me off was that s since the time that I was of voting age, uh, the whole platform, the, like the entire Republican platform when they, um, at least when they were running, you know, like presidential campaigns and stuff, was that it was all, you you vote for us because if you don't vote for us, those evil foreigners are going to come and destroy our country. And, exactly. And I... You know, I'm a very like. Can yes. I interrupt you for a second? Hold that yes, thought. Yes. That's exactly what we have now with the Democrats. They're yeah. exactly saying the same thing: vote first now, or evil About Putin will Russia take over. They've yeah. yeah exactly. so, sorry, I just wanted to let, just make us aware that this is right. Yeah, so I mean, they can they can uh, they can use xenophobia in different ways, right? You know, I mean. Um, I because I live in Tajikistan, I I don't have that positive view of a view on Russia, but I kind of look I kind of look yeah. at you know I kind of look at United States and Russia as kind of like they're both kind of doing the same things as each other. So like I'm not I'm not tr trying to pick sides between them or anything, but but yeah, you you can tell that like whether it's the Democrats or the Republicans, they can try to use xenophobia as a, a social force that can help them to win elections, and and I always. This was always so off-putting to me that um, you know that's that's like how Donald Trump got elected. I mean, it was basically the the Republicans. They tried it again and again and again. Like they never stopped until uh, finally uh, Republican won the the presidential race. And um, 
you know that that's what all of Donald Trump was saying was that if if you don't vote for me, people who are people who are not white, you know, people like um, from Mexico and the Middle East, they're going to they're going to invade our country. They're going to rape you. They're going to do like that's the like literally they were saying this stuff, and I was like, oh my god, right? Like because I um, I always loved people from not you know from all communities. Like I was always happy to like in, in when I was growing up in California. When I met people from other countries, I was like, you guys are so interesting and amazing. Like I, I just had I had this really positive regard towards people from all around the world. And kind of like I love to celebrate like the diversity and cultures and everything like that. And and of course I I had in you know, eventually I'd moved outside of the United States. So I was already living in in another country. Um and you know, Taj- Tajikistan by global standards is a very poor country. So it's um it's a country that because of because of poverty, someone in the United States would from a distance they would look at a country like Tajikistan and they would say like, oh, that's not you know that's a bad country because like they're not I don't know they're not materially wealthy or something. But anyway. You know, I had a lot of experience already talking to people from around the world. And, you know, I, I grew up with the Internet, right? Like the Internet connects us. So having all of that, you know, um, I was like the opposite of of xenophobic. I was like, I loved <laughs> I don't know. I loved. Yeah, I loved foreign yeah. things. And then I moved and then I moved to, uh, you know, I moved across the globe and I, I started living here in Central Asia. And I was like, you know what? I finally I lived outside America and I, I learned the language that people speak here. And I just talk to people like I, I can go out and I can just talk to someone on the street or I can go to the grocery store and I can have a conversation with the shopkeeper or taxi driver. And people are the same. They're just like they say all this, think all the same stuff that everyone in the world, like people are people basically. And um, it's kind of, you know, it's kind of sad that people can can really get so divided against each other about things like you know like nationality or language or things like that when um when i just felt like uh when i would go back and i would talk to some of my american friends that would um they would espouse these kinds of views that they they had some really negative opinions of uh, about immigrants for example and i told them i said look I hate to to break it to you, but uh, people from America, like like us, like me, right? I was I was born and I grew up in the United States. People like us are not better than people who grew up in another country in any way. Like, there we're not we're not smarter than them. We're not like you know we're not more cultured or like we don't. It's it's just this all became so strange to me that the the longer that I spent living outside of the United States, the more the more foreign America started to seem to me. Well, along those lines of American exceptionalism, maybe you could touch on. Yeah, which I find really fascinating as an American who's lived abroad is the idea of like how you feel about both Iran and Tajikistan in terms of living there. Uh, like mm. in terms of your security, your feelings of freedom, your feelings of of compared to the U.S. Because I think a lot of Americans would look at you and they'd be like, "You have kids and a wife is Tajikistan. Why in the world aren't you in America? Like that doesn't make any sense." Uh, like, yeah. Of course you're. Of course you're going to bring your wife to America and live in America. Like that's obvious. 
So like maybe yeah. you could explain like to a, an American why uh, like a <laughs> pretend I'm a dumb American and explain to me why I'm not, uh, why you're not doing that like yeah. Oh gosh, that's that's really complicated. You know, I I visited America a couple months ago. I went to visit my parents after the you know the whole time that I was in Iran. I didn't visit the United States. Um, there's a one of the reasons there was a couple of reasons for that, right? One reason was that the the situation between the two countries was kind of difficult. So um traveling between them was it was not only very expensive, which I I, I don't have money, you know, a lot of money, right? I'm kind of a not a rich person. So I had to think of the expense of traveling and the difficulty of like, you know, what if, you know, what if I go to the United States and for some reason I can't return to Iran or something like I was, I was really like worried about things like that. And so for the first couple of years that I was in Iran, I thought, you know, I'm just going to stay put. It's better for me because I, I came to, you know, to spend time in this country and to experience everything. And then after like a couple of years had passed and, uh, you know, a couple summers went by, we visited my wife's family in Tajikistan. It was it was very close by and convenient. There There's a there's a direct flight between Mashhad and Dushanbe, and it's like a 90-minute flight. So, like, you you just spend like an hour on an airplane, and you can be in Tajikistan from Iran. So, like, um, in terms of convenience and cost, you know, we so we spent a couple summers with my wife's family, and then finally, I was like, you know what? I miss my family so much. It, it this was t- like 2019 or so, right? Very very bad timing. I was like, definitely next summer. I am going to the United States, no matter what, I have to see my mom and dad. And then, <laughs> and then the pandemic happened and I was like, oh, I got to, I have to stay put, right? Like I couldn't, you know, people, I had some, uh, some foreign classmates in, in Ferdowsi University who, uh, when the pandemic reached Iran, they left immediately. They were like, we have to leave now. And I was there and I was like, I have to finish my degree, right? Like I I went so far, I did so much and and now that I'm so close to getting my degree, I was like I can't chance it, right? Like I I can't leave Iran and not know when I'm ever going to come back. So because of the pandemic and everything, yeah, we we stayed until I graduated and then I finally I visited the United States and it was Ramadan. So um I was there for um you know, for Ada Fitz and I talked to people at my masjid. Some of them were immigrants, right? Like I, t- I talked to immigrants from Iran and they were like saying what you said, like, like, what are you doing? Like I was telling that they're like, how are you? How's your wife? And I was like, yeah, she's good. You know, my wife is, is pregnant with twins. But um, yeah, like you were saying, uh, the way that things worked out with us having kids and everything, it was just, you know, we didn't have much of a choice in terms of, you know, where the babies were going to be born because, um, you know, we decided to have kids while we were living in Iran. And so my wife was pregnant by the time I graduated and she was, she was pretty close to delivery. She was like a, like a month or two away, two months, maybe three months. So she was, she was starting to enter the third trimester. And, um, you know, we couldn't we couldn't stay in Iran because I because I graduated and um, I wasn't a student anymore. So there, this was one problem. And we we thought about it. We we're, we had friends in Iran who were telling us, like, you know, stay, you know, have the babies here. 
and it's you know it's better and you know the 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 healthcare in Iran is excellent like it's it would would have been a really great place for kids to the kids to be born um and and of course also I would have been so proud you know to have my children born in Mashhad right that would have been great for me as well but we we considered everything and we we're like you know what we don't have any family in Iran the, and the way the situation is going is we're we're going to have to go back to Tajikistan anyway and her her mom is there her family is there so she in Tajikistan she has this whole support system and if if the kids are born in Tajikistan they they will also get to be Tajik citizens and so we so basically like we we took everything into consideration and even even the possibility of having the kids born in America was like too far fetched because we we could apply for my wife to get a visa to travel to the United States but it would have taken too long so if by the time she'd have gotten it the babies would have been born anyway so it was like Dushanbe was the only place that realistically that the kids could have been born and so when i visited the us and i was talking to like this uh, one of these ladies who was like she was an immigrant from iran like one of i don't know she was like my friend's mom or something or or aunt and um she was just asking me like you know how are things and i was like yeah my wife's in tajikistan we're about to have kids you know and the, and she was just like why don't you have them in the united states and i was like well it's not convenient right like we and, and of course it maybe not was not even possible but she was very upset about it and i was i was like i could i couldn't understand i was like what what i was like why should we have them in the united states and she couldn't explain it she was just like well it's better <laughs> and i was like in what way is it better like you tell me and and they i guess they w- were afraid that the children would not be us citizens and i was like no look they they get us citizenship through me the only thing that would happen is that they couldn't be president of the united states and i was like do you do you think <laughs> ah that's great right, do, <laughs> do you think my kids would become president of the united states i don't think so right like i don't even Oh, that's the funniest. <laughs> I don't know if I would want that for them. So, like, even like just this one thing was like, I I just couldn't understand that they they had already like people. And these are people who themselves had grown up outside of the United States, and then after they moved there, they they developed this point of view that like only the United States is good. Everywhere else in the world is bad. I just couldn't understand that. So it's really twins? strange. Yeah, twins. How much did it cost you to have twins, just in the healthcare costs analysis in Tajikistan? Do you think, like the whole hospital stay? Okay, so let, yeah, I can break it down for you a little bit. Um, of course, we uh, we did something which not everyone's going to be able to do. Um, my wife is, you know, her family is Tajik, and her fa- like her mom she knows what's up like she understands everything about she knows how to work the system so my wife was able to give birth in a public hospital and um, which you might not want to do if you were living in tajikistan but um, somehow they've got the the system of like in iran you know they call it party bazi which is like that you know somebody like my wife's her mom's 
cousin's neighbor was like a a, a good doctor and like was able to recommend a surgeon for because it was going to be a c-section so we we were able to keep you know tabs on everything to make sure that my my wife had a, a good you know a good surgeon and people at the at the hospital that they were taking good care of her so my mother-in-law you know she was there to to oversee everything and um you know they they gave tips to the nurses and everything so but in terms of what my wife got was that um, she had a, a C-section delivery for twins. Uh, she stayed in the hospital for, I want to say, five days or six days, maybe. So like five, five days in the hospital. And um, we paid for all of the, so we paid for uh, all of the medicine. You have to, you have to buy the medications and everything. So for example, um, the surgeon will say, even for the procedure, they'll say like, this is what we need in order to do it. You you go to the pharmacy and you buy it and you bring it. So we paid for all the drugs and medicine. We paid for the hospital stay and the surgery. And I think the grand total, um, you're not going to believe this, but the grand total was something like $600, like out of pocket. So was, there's no insurance or anything. And that's that's just how much it costs here. So, you know, I don't know how much it would have cost in the United States, um, but my wife had she had Googled it. She looked online, like how much does does um, is does delivery cost in, in the U.S.? And she was looking at figures, you know, like, you know, thousands and thousands of dollars. And she was like, what? I would never have a baby there. It's too expensive. And so, yeah, I think you so, saved at least 10, 10 times the. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, maybe like, you know, insurance, I don't know what insurance could pay for or anything like that. But but over here, we didn't really have to worry about it. Wow. Well, that's an interesting you, aspect of it. Yeah. Do you know how much it would have cost you if uh, it was in Iran, if you were in Iran? Like, do you have any idea? It probably would have been similarly affordable. I, I don't know exactly how much it would have cost, but um, uh, for example while we were living in Mashhad, we um, we paid for our own medical expenses also. Um, like a couple things, right? Um, I I got sick with COVID-19, so I, I had COVID and um, fortunately it was not life-threatening, but I visited the hospital many times while I was sick with COVID and um, we paid for that out of pocket. And my, my wife also had... Um, she had laser eye surgery. That was one of the things we did in Iran. And um, all of that, you know, it was really, it was, uh, f uh, for us, it was affordable. Um, really, we had no problem. And what about we, the quality had, of the service that you received? Like how, oh, it was how great. Yeah. I think, I think the quality was, was very, very high in Iran. Um, uh, I, I have had a bad experience. One of my bad experiences was um, I went to the, the dentist like the medical college at Ferdosi University for a, a dental procedure and whoever saw me at the at the dental clinic um they wanted to do this bogus thing that like uh like I'll, I'll tell you what it was I I was having like my gums were bleeding so I had gingivitis or something and I went there just for a consultation I wanted them to tell me what was wrong like why are my gums bleeding and it was probably like you know, a combination of like diet and stress, 
which that was the conclusion that I came to is that I should have just eaten more. I've taken vitamins or something and, and, you know, the mo moving to another country is also very stressful. So anyway, I saw this, this dentist and the dentist was like, oh, we need to do this procedure. We need to do like a, a free like graft. Um, we need to, what it is, it's a procedure where they take, um, they take tissue from the roof of your mouth and they try to graft mm -hmm. it onto your gums so that you have, you have more gums uh, protecting the, the root of your teeth. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and it's, it's a procedure that many people have done actually. Um, but the, this person like basically misrepresented the procedure. Like they oversold it. They were like, like, oh, it's mm -hmm. so, it's, it's so simple. It's so easy. Like you just in, in 15 minutes, you're out and, and it was cheap too. Right. So I was thinking like, well, hmm, should I do this? Because it's very cheap. And I talked to my family and that like we had like, oh, my nephew had this procedure done as well. And I was like, okay, well, um, I guess it's a legit thing, right? And I had the procedure done and I totally regretted it. Like it was a, it was a horrible, horrible procedure. Um, you know, I had, I left with, with stitches like in the roof of my mouth and it was bleeding. Oh. And um, yeah, and I had to, I did it like the weekend before final exams. It was like my first semester at Ferdosi University. So I, I had to go into exams with like, you know, I was like in pain and everything. Uh, but anyway, that that was one case anyway that I was like, man, this mm -hmm. I, I really shouldn't have done this. But I think I was uh, like unnecessary. It was unnecessary, <laughs> right. But I have to tell you, overall, everything else was perfect. And um uh for example, I'll give you a good example of what was one thing that was really great was uh we used to go to this hospital in Mushad, and uh because it was very affordable. We would have, you know, any time that we needed, we would get blood work done, for example, like we would do regular, like, you know, check, you know, uh, cholesterol and all of that stuff, uh, just just for general health. And so at this hospital, I had blood drawn several times. And I guess um, I guess my veins are are thin or something. So it's it's hard to draw blood from me. Um, I had it done in the United States unsuccessfully. So in my hometown, I had gone to a hospital and they needed to draw blood for a test and the nurse couldn't do it and tried unsuccessfully two times or three times and had to call another nurse and was like, I can't do this. And so I, I already knew that this was uh, something that could happen. And when I was in Iran and they would draw blood, they never ever had any issue whatsoever they the guy was the it was different people every time like it was all the different nurses um you know like like young, young guys working at the hospital and they did a perfect job every time they would you know they would find the vein they would stick the needle in i i didn't feel a thing and they they did it so fast and it was you know just they never had an issue and i was like huh these guys are like so you know that's phlebotomy. I was like, these phlebotomists are like excellent at their job. And then I came to Tajikistan and um, I had to have um, a test done for in order to get a visa. This is what this is one of the legal legal requirements in Tajikistan to get a visa to stay in Tajikistan. You have to give an HIV test. And we went to this clinic. It was it was a horrible clinic. It was it was one of the we went to this clinic because it was one of the the fancy ones in Dushanbe. It was like one of the well-known, 
you know, supposedly good quality clinics. And for that reason, they charge you more than other places. So I had to go in to have this HIV test done for my visa application. And I had in the past done this before in Tajikistan, going to public hospitals. And it was very simple. They would just, you know, that they would prick the tip of your finger and they would give you the result right away. And uh, we decided to go to this place because it was near our house. And we were like, oh, this is a it's a nice place, right? They should have it, have it, have it good. And um, you know what? It was horrible. They wanted to, um, they didn't want to prick my finger. They wanted to draw a vial of blood in order to do a, an HIV test. And then they told us like, oh, you know, it's our policy that we can't, um, you can't buy a single test. You have to have at least two, you have to buy at least two tests. And <laughs> right. And so they charged us too much money. Well, it it ended up costing like about ten dollars, which um wouldn't as an American wouldn't mind paying that much, but in Tajikistan that's like a, a, a what is it uh, a crazy fee to pay for such a procedure. Mm-hmm. Um, but they I was already upset about they they were ripping us off on the service, and then um, by the time that they had to draw the blood, the lady did such a bad job. It was it was horrible that um i guess she she missed the vein or she she picked a wrong like the like the artery like it wasn't a main artery but it was something she hit the wrong spot so she drew the blood with some difficulty and then for like the whole day my arm was sore because she did such a bad job and then after even after she took the blood she knew that she did a bad job and she was like i am so sorry that it was painful for you and i was like oh it's fine you know at, at, at the time i didn't mind so much it was actually the pain the pain came later after i left but um that just goes to show you that like if i were to compare like the quality of healthcare between tajikistan and iran that's like night and day like iran is like very like everything is perfect and professional they do a wonderful job uh, the doc the doctors that i saw in iran they were wonderful like um I felt like when I talked to them that they genuinely listened and they cared about what was wrong with me. Like when I got COVID, I I went to see doctors multiple times. They just seemed genuinely empathetic. Like I couldn't like I, I had seen doctors in the United States before. Like I had a doctor in my hometown where like I had a very serious problem and and it was upsetting me and I was and I went to see my doctor and as I was trying to like, I was like one minute into explaining to him what was wrong. And he just said like, uh, can you please hurry up? Cause I have to see other patients. Right. Oh, so like, yeah. So oh, everyone, cause that's, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So everyone in Iran was lovely and they did a good job. So I would, you know, I kind of, I think I would rather, I don't know. Maybe it depends on, you know, the procedure or what, what it is you're doing. But I think most of the time I'd rather go to a, a hospital in Iran than I would in the United States. Yeah. Medical tourism is a new big thing, apparently, in Iran. I heard from tour guides. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I don't want to, you know, I don't want to be like, oh, you, sh- you should go and, like, take advantage of, like, how much less it costs you. But I just am trying to say that regardless of the cost, um, the quality was excellent. 
How do people in Tajikistan afford six hundred dollars to have kids though? Because isn't that that's a pretty sizable? Well, yeah, a lot of. I mean, you could um, you could pay it, but that's that's a hefty fee. That's like um, like you you were kind of saying um, if you were in America and you paid yeah, like it's... ten times that much. That's what it would be like for a Tajik family. Exactly. So six hundred dollars yeah. in Tajikistan. That's like for a Tajik family. That's like they they have to pay ten thousand dollars for something. Yeah. So yeah, it's um, not everyone maybe could afford it. Yeah. Huh. Well, that's yeah, that's a big difference. Um, mm-hmm. How how is it in terms of the, like the expat community there? Do you know other Americans in Tajikistan? Not really. Um, <laughs> that's also one of the funny things was that when I moved to Tajikistan in 2014, I was like, I was living in Tajikistan like a like a Tajik person would live because um, I had my family, right? I got married, and so I lived with my in-laws, and I spoke the language. So living here, and there was a bit of a language barrier, right? Like. Um, Tajik people, they speak, they do speak Persian, but they speak with an accent that's quite different from people in Iran. Um, although, what once I became more fluent in Persian, the difference started to become seem smaller and smaller, right? As a, as a learner of the language, it, the difference in dialect was kind of um, or accent was a little bit difficult to overcome. So having having studied like standard Iranian Persian in university when I arrived in Tajikistan I was still finding that like like yeah I could communicate with people but it was a challenge right sometimes I had to like negotiate with them like you know what are you talking about and if they they talked enough I was like ah okay I, I, I get what you're saying but um but yeah I over you know it's in spite of the the culture shock and everything because Tajikistan was also part of the Soviet Union Soviet countries are really different um, and in like in some ways even Iran is more similar to the United States than a country like Tajikistan because the USSR is just, was is just really something else so I came here confronted with like all of this di- differences in culture and language but then after a couple of years I had adjusted sufficiently to the point where um, I felt totally free living in Dushanbe like it was just an, a completely normal place I could just go out I could go you know go anywhere do anything I could talk to anyone it just felt normal and so just the fact that I kind of um, I feel like I was doing a good job of, of fitting in in Tajikistan in, in spite of the fact of being a foreign person um, I didn't have a need to like maintain like this this circle of like foreign friends like I did I didn't want even want to be in, in a bubble of people who speak English because like um, my my heart was with like the Persian language so um, so yeah I kind of like I had no connection to like expats or anything and what was funny is that uh, Tajik people sometimes they would find this weird because like I would meet people in Tajikistan and like um, you know uh, sometimes it would be like kind of uh, annoying to me to meet people who are like overly interested in the United States because like mm. I I'm not as interested in it as they are. Exactly. So like so like I mean it was much worse in Iran actually. Um, I was going but, to say that. I yeah, was going yeah. To- 
because I was expecting you to say yeah like, yeah but to, in yeah. Tajikistan also some people like I would meet these people who like they were just a little bit too in, interested in, in America and they would like try to speak English with me and they were like oh I want to go to America and I, I was like yeah I'm sure you do right like um but what that was one of the things that they would kind of be like they would meet me and then they would start telling me about every American that they knew exactly and then you know what you've had this experience before probably so they're like you're from yeah. america and they're like oh do you know joe i know joe like you, have you ever met him and i was like no i i don't know these people <laughs> right and yeah. is there is there a military uh like uh present like does the u.s have a military presence in some sort of military presence oh. in Tajik? and do people know about it like how do Tajik people like think and feel about it in your experience? Well, the U.S. has an embassy. <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's that's definitely that something. <laughs> and uh, and I have to say, like I I've been to a lot of embassies um, in Dushanbe and also in Iran. I've been to a few um, different embassies, and uh, uh, the American embassy is always the worst. It's the worst one. It's like um, the security is insane. Like. You go like I'm a U.S. citizen, right? I, I'm, I, you know, they they you go in there and they treat you like you're a criminal or something. Like, yep. like just you you're living outside of the United States. It's like you're all of a sudden you're you're one of them, right? Like like they wouldn't like uh, mm. last time I visited the U.S. embassy, they wouldn't let me wear my watch, right? Like and they oh. and I don't know if they had something against me or or whatever because they the lady that went in in front of me they didn't ask her to remove her watch but then they were looking at me and they're like you like you take off your watch and I was like like I have a U.S. passport like what are you thinking yeah. and so anyway it's like high security you feel like you're going into a military base um, it's it was always an unpleasant experience. But um, other than, you know, the this embassy that the United States has in, in Dushanbe, which which is a, you know, it's a fairly large compound. They built a, a, a big embassy, um, ostensibly because of, you know, the proximity to Afghanistan, which is what mm -hmm. what what every country is worried about. I mean, that's that's why that's like why Russia up. is here. Yeah. They yeah. beefed up their embassies all around the world after the bombings and they use that as an excuse to spend a lot That's, of money. So like sure. even in Uganda yeah. or Nairobi, they have these sprawling compounds that are like totally unnecessary. In Iraq too. Yeah. 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 And I can, I can understand that, that they feel that there's a threat, but I, you know, I kind of, um, as an American living in Tajikistan, I never feel threatened in Tajikistan. So I, this country feels safe and, and normal to me. Um, so I kind of feel like, well, you know, um, if people, uh, they have, you know, something, as, as Malcolm X said, right, that when chickens come home to roost, it's like the United States kind of knows that people are out to get get them. So mm -hmm. they, they have to beef up the security. As far as I know, um, in terms of military presence, I know that the United States does some some really simple, basic cooperation with the Tajik military, but there I don't think there's a U.S. military presence here. I think sometimes they they invite um, Tajiks, uh, the Tajik military, to come to the United States for training. Sometimes they give them things like some equipment or something, but as far as I know. Um, there's all here. There's only a Russian military base, which is the the main thing, 
so the so Russia has like a whole like division here. Um, Tajikistan is is uh, more in Russia's sphere of influence, and so the the United States doesn't really have a strong foothold in Tajikistan, um, but they do. You know, they're friends with Tajikistan, so to speak. So they try to you know have this, this small relationship that they have. They try to to build on it. Um, uh, and aside from from the Russian military base, uh, India also has an air base in, inside Tajikistan. That's all that I, I know. Interesting. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and the U.S. had air bases in, in Kyrgyzstan and in uh, mm. Uzbekistan, but now that the all the air bases in Afghanistan aren't even American anymore, I don't think they're, I don't think they're operational either, so I think the whole... Did the whole... Uzbekistan... Uh, Asked them to leave. Yeah, like they, they did. Yeah, yeah. I, I remember something about that. And then the Manas base in Bishkek took over, and then I think they're closed down now too, for the most part. So, yeah, yeah. it's basically like a full pullout of from Central Asia. But, uh, yeah. Well, that. Well, I guess. I guess I'm pretty much out of questions, unless you wanted to. Yeah. Yeah, I guess I I think that pretty much wrapped it up for me. Um, that's very interesting. I would love to, um, you know, yeah. continue the conversation in in the future. Maybe see how how that that's continuing for you uh, living in Tajikistan. I mean, I I've always yes. wanted to go there. I lived in Kyrgyzstan, and I think it's a fascinating place. So. Um, that. Well, Tajikistan is the sort of place that, um, for a gen for general interest, if you if you're just a you know a regular like world traveler, for example, I wouldn't recommend Tajikistan to every tourist. Like, um, I think that one of the main things that Tajikistan has to offer is the this kind of like specialness of the fact that Tajikistan has a Persian culture in contrast with its neighbors. Like, you know, Kyrgyzstan is is more of a it's a Turkic um country um tajikistan stands out in that way so if you if you have some interest in like um, persian language or iranian culture or something like that um, tajikistan would definitely be an interesting destination and we do have like there's the beauty of the the mountains and everything so if you haven't like if, if you're going to bother to come all the way out to to remote Tajikistan you should at least visit Badakhshan right you should go you should go to the Pamir mountains um you should visit like the the Wakhan valley and and see these really like spectacular and, and hard to reach places as well like the like the only as if Tajikistan wasn't remote enough right in order to get to like the Wakhan valley um you have to spend like days in like an off-road vehicle as it's like going through the mountains and everything so like it's it's really a, a superb experience if you if you can make it out to i felt like like i was very privileged to see like one of the most like remote places in the planet um but if you're you know if you're not willing to go that far or you just you just kind of want to have like a fun little like Central Asia adventure, right? I would definitely recommend that people visit Uzbekistan, and Uzbekistan is really um, it's it has so much to offer in terms of architecture and and you know and and a lot of that's a part of Iranian history as well. So um, you can go to Uzbekistan and see like Samarkand and Bukhara, which are like 
two of the most like famous Iranian cities mm-hmm. ever. And then you can also see like the beautiful architecture in Khiva, which is, um, you know, the historical region of, of uh, Khwarazm. And so, so yeah, I would, I would recommend to most people who are starting to like get into Central Asia, I would tell them first go to Uzbekistan. And, um, and, and while you're there, you could hop over to Tajikistan. You could, you could combine them into a single trip. So I, I would definitely recommend that. I'd add on to that, the Kyrgyzstan as well. And the advantage of Kyrgyzstan over Uzbekistan is that the, the actual logistics in traveling mm-hmm. in Kyrgyzstan are a lot more friendly because in Uzbekistan, yeah. the police are extremely harassing. So you're going to come into a contact with a yeah. lot of bakshish. They're going to be asking for money at every turn. And in, in Kyrgyzstan, yeah. that really only happens if you're driving. So I, I had a car there and drove yeah. around, and that's where you start getting into that like harassment. But uh, the yeah, the, the Uzbeks Tajikistan, are phenomenal yeah. for shaking tourists down. Yeah, yeah. Tajikistan was pretty bad, too. I mean, it's just kind of um, endemic to like the, the Central Asia region. But um, they they have, over the past few years, they've kind of they've started to become more tourist-friendly. So that's good. My, my wife and I visited Uzbekistan in 2015, and um, it was still kind of bad. Like, um, like, like Bukhara and Samarkand were were pretty like touristy, tourist friendly. Like the, those those key, key destinations. But like when we were going around in Tashkent, for example, um, we we wanted to take the metro everywhere because it was it was actually really convenient and cheap, and you could the security was. So it was nuts. Like the the guards wouldn't let you go into the metro station without like shaking you down. They'd they'd open our bags every time. They'd be like, "Whoa, what do you got in your bags?" Like just to get on the metro. So like things were pretty bad uh, back then. Uh, hopefully they're better now. Um, you know, Uzbekistan has changed a lot in the uh, past yeah, couple years yeah. since you know since the passing of Islam Karimov. Um, Tajikistan also kind of recently they did a big push for tourism, but it's not so easy to attract people. Um, but just like a, for example, just this year, um, Tajikistan started to allow visa-free entry for Americans, Iranian, and, really, and, really, and a bunch of other countries. I think yeah, Iranians wow. have to, still have to get a visa. How long has this visa-free travel thing for Americans been going on? That's since, the reason I never went since January. Wow! Oh, that's yeah, great news because I, I was always going to go, but it was like such a headache to apply in Bishkek, and like yeah. I knew people who were applying, and it's like a it was like a something like two hundred dollar fee, and it was like you had to wait forever, and it was so, and I was like, oh, this is crazy. I'm not doing this, and yeah, so I, uh, heard, I never did it. I heard recently that um, some app, uh, tourist visa applicants have had their applications uh, just very recently rejected because they mentioned on their application that they were going to visit the Pamir region. And so, yeah, exactly. And that's where I was traveling. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. yeah. So there's been so unrest there. But I, I, like my goal was to drive overland when I was there. And it was like, you oh. have to go through the Palmiers. And so you, you had to can. have this whole extra permit. Well, you could yeah. back then you could like apply for some extra military permit. And it was just like a super headache. 
So, uh, but I knew people who did it by bicycle, and apparently, thought when you're on a bike, they didn't really care so much. So <laughs> it was like, uh, you're not yeah. But... So the travel group that I was in, we made it all the way out to this small city called Morgab, and Morgab is like really tiny and remote, like it's in the middle of nowhere, but it's it's kind of close to the Kyrgyz border. Mm-hmm. And um, we were staying the night in like a like a homestay or something, like a little. This is like a hotel, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, and breakfast maybe and while we were there um there someone came to uh, to us and was i guess the the owners they were like uh does anyone in your group speak japanese and we were like <laughs> we're like why and they're like a, a japanese guy has shown up he crossed over land from kyrgyzstan to tajikistan so so a japanese guy arrived there and they're like we can't talk to him because he doesn't know english or russian or anything Wow. And he, so just just by by knowing Japanese only, he was like hitch, he hitchhiked like through China and Kyrgyzstan. Wow. He had arrived I in met, Tajikistan. I met a guy oh from like uh, I think it was Shanghai, a Chinese guy who had walked all the way from Shanghai to Kyrgyzstan, and he was walking oh my God. to Tajikistan. So there, that Central Asia, you get the most fantastic travelers because it's like it filters out all the all the normies you get all these eccentric <laughs> like adventure seekers who are like unicycling across kyrgyzstan or what i mean this crazy crazy stuff yeah. i love that part yeah, of yeah we and this another similar experience was uh, when we were staying in a kind of a remote um also a remote village in iran like we went on a trip that was organized by the university and um there one of the guys at the hotel he came and found me because he needed someone who could speak English. And he's like, uh, we need you to come talk to this guy who has shown up and we don't know what to do with him. And it turns out that um, a Dutch traveler had made, it had found his way somehow to this small village in Iran. And uh, I guess um, he could only, he could speak English, but, but nobody there could speak English. Mm-hmm. And so um, he was there and uh, I guess looking for a place to stay. And I, I sort of got the impression that what he was doing in Iran was he was kind of going around hoping that people would put him up for free. Oh, that's and, really common. Yeah. And I, I was kind of thinking like, you know, I don't advise people to do that. Right. Like don't go to Iran expecting like everything to be free for you. Um, I don't think that's very nice, but, but yeah, uh, uh, Iran is very famous for its hospitality. It and is. Speaking yeah. of, Speaking of the visa thing, that's a, a great concern for like my wife and I, because, you know, we have different nationalities and like the, there's like only three countries that we can go to. Both of us can go to without a visa. I mean, I mean, sometimes what getting are those, a visa is, what are those countries? One of them's Armenia. I, wow. I think okay. Armenia, Georgia and there there Turkey, is another probably Turkey. I need a visa for Turkey. Yeah, but, um, but you can get it at the airport, right? Uh, well, yeah, that's it's an easy it's an easy visa, right? I can get an electronic electronic visas are like nothing really, so we could we could go to Turkey very easily. But if you, if you want like totally like visa free entry, there's basically like the Caucasus, and I think there there was some like country in the Persian Gulf that like that we both also both could have visited, but now I can't remember. So like yeah, we had this problem, and also um, the relations because. You know, because my wife is Tajik and we went to Iran together and um, the rela- relations relations between Iran and Tajikistan were frequently on, you know, on the rocks, basically. So um, 
the relations between Iran and, and Tajikistan and also Central Asia in general, this has also been, um, you know, a big concern for us. Like um, my my wife's sister, uh, one her younger sister currently studies in Iran and, and her o- older sister formerly studied in Iran. That's that's kind of like how, how I was able to actually go to school there was um, my sister-in-law was a student and she was able to also kind of be like the go-between. So like, um, you know, we've, we've had multiple family members also study in Iran and they, they've had some problems. Like, you know, when they come back to Tajikistan um, at the airport, the authorities, they would, you know, they would try, they would try to take away their passport or something and tell them like, you know, don't go back to Iran. Um, But I just, I just wanted to point that out because you were mentioning, um, you know, visa free travel for Iranians to Uzbekistan, which I really hope that, that, this is true because um, I strongly believe in um, these countries, which are which are neighbors. Um, I strongly believe in them working together and having close relations with each other. Um, Uzbekistan also recently opened up to Tajikistan. So Tajikistan and Uzbekistan had been in a cold war with each other for many years because like Islam Karimov, who was the president of Uzbekistan, like he hated Tajikistan. And so like uh, Tajiks could also not there. People couldn't travel between the two countries until just like a few years ago. All of a sudden, like they opened the borders and now like Uzbeks and Tajiks, they can visit each other. They, you know, they have like they have there's families that were split across the border. So this was a, a you know, a wonderful, you know, joyous event that happened. And I just, um, you know, I'm really hoping that and and things, you know, as bad as um, the current political situation in, in the world as bad as it has become i guess there's kind of like this silver lining that between um between central asia and which is very dependent on russia so between russia and iran there's central asia and they kind of like they're being uh drawn together more so if um if tajikistan can become uh better friends with iran I think that would also be a wonderful, it would be a wonderful thing like for me and my family, for example, I would love to see that, you know, relations improve between Tajikistan and Iran and, and in Russia, for example. So. Do you think that alienation, like political alienation of Iran, like you described when your um, connections were arriving at the airport and they were questioned, do you think that is stemming from the sphere that's more the Russian sphere or the U.S. sphere of influence? Do you think where is that? Where is that like Iran Iran phobia coming oh, from? Oh, there's Tajikistan. There's a long story behind that. I don't know how much time we have, uh, oh, well, but some I'll of it is you unique. Put. Yeah, <laughs> uh, we can wrap it up. Whatever. <laughs> yeah. So, so some of it is unique to Tajikistan. Okay, so um, like, for example, sometimes I notice that uh, like Russia, for example, Russia has better relations with Iran than Tajikistan does. Um, Tajikistan kind of feels this. um, There's this anxiety about um, because Iran speaks the same language. They both speak Persian. And there's this um, Tajikistan is like uh, it's very small and Iran is very large. That kind of creates an imbalance in their relationship. So sometimes, um, sometimes Tajikistan feels threatened by Iran. That like, and, and and possibly this is this is unwarranted, but they think that like sometimes they say like, oh, Iran's going to come and like take over, and you have this um, 
this post-Soviet political establishment, which uh, does not feel very good about Islam as a religion. And so when they, they come into contact with Iran, which, which is a religious, you know, government, um, they feel like, oh, this is really scary because we don't know, like, um, uh, is Iran going to uh, uh, incite Tajiks to rise up and overthrow the secular government in Tajikistan? Oh, like, there's all, there's all these, okay. these wild yeah. things that they, they think like, they just, um, Tajikistan in a lot of ways, it's a very closed off country. They don't, they don't like change in general. So like things, it's better for like the, the ruling class in Tajikistan that, you know, things kind of got to stay the same as they were before. Um, uh, for example, there's, there's an anecdote about recently, uh, people have been complaining about the internet being slow in Dushanbe. Like the, the internet here is, um, com uh, uh, compared to Iran, it's slower and much more expensive and people complain about it. And, um, some, you know, some politician or something was quoted as saying like, well, what if, what if people want the internet for? Right. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's great. Oh, wow. I'm really loving yeah. Tajikistan now. That's fantastic. <laughs> that's a but place you know, to be it, right now. <laughs> Tajikistan is improving every, every year that I've been here. It's not, hasn't been very long, but I, I've seen marked improvements year after year. The country is, is, uh, advancing a bit it's opening up you know little by little it's opening up more um i think there there's a few episodes in tajikistan's relationship with iran that you know things things hit a low low point in like 2015 and i think now we're just kind of reaching a point where they're starting to like really get over those things and if they can if they can put the past behind them i think um, they can be just more comfortable with each other Awesome. Well, yeah. Just some random other... question. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, do you know any Persian poem by heart? Like, can you remember anything uh, that you particularly like, and you can tell us? Oh, I, I, I am horrible at memorization. Like, I, I really, it, like, I, I graduated from Ferdowsi University with with a degree in Persian literature. I did not memorize wow. things. Um, and this, you know, this might have been to the chagrin of some of my professors because, um, you know, per Persian literature is, is possibly one of the oldest majors in Iran in, in history. So, like, when, when the first universities were, like, opening in Iran, like, Persian literature was one of the things you could study, like, alongside, I don't know what else they had, like, medicine and, and, and law or whatever it is that they had. Um, but it's a, it's a very traditional major. Right. It's very still very focused on reading classical literature. Um, you know, the 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 major the major is, is called Persian language and literature. Right. And I, I liked, you know, the language part more than the literature part. Right. Um, right. But it but, you know, it did actually um, all those all those courses that I had to take about classical works and classical poets. It did have a positive effect on me. So it um, mm -hmm. helped me to get more into Persian literature than I otherwise would have been. But yeah, I can, I memorize like one line, you know, and everybody, you, you all, everybody knows it. It's, it's not special or anything. It's, you know, Tavana Bovad, Harki Dana Bovad, Zidanish, Dilipir, Borna Bovad. Perfect. Right? 
Yeah, sure. So um, this one that I recited, it says, um, so, Tavanabovad Harki Donabovad. It's uh, whoever is has knowledge, whoever is uh, knowledgeable, is, is strong, is powerful, right? Like knowledge is power. And then the second part is, um, it means that um, from uh, or with with knowledge, um, an old heart becomes young. So I guess um, this is also and who's about the, that poem by? Oh, I, th I it's got to be Feridosi, right? An interesting word in this poem, Borna, right? Borna is, is a, uh, an interesting right. word. I had a I just recently I, I now I teach English in Dushanbe. Um, I, I had a student just last month. Her name was was Barna, which which is the same word. The accent is a little bit different, um, but actually that was uh, Tajiks have a very beautiful um, culture when it comes to Persian language. Um, so this was actually somebody's name, um, but the I word have, the yeah. word yeah. So Borna means young. It's not uh, commonly used in Persian anymore, but it, the word has an interesting evolution. So I, I'm just going to leave you with this because um, I, I have a great interest in, in Persian philology. Like I, I like etymology. Um, in ancient Persian, there is this word uh, Purnak. Purnak, it means old, right? So, um, you know, like in Persian, we have the word Pir. And um, if you put Ah in front of the word, it's, it forms the opposite of that which uh, this hap we have this in some english words as well so apurnak is um the opposite of old it means young and what happened is that as the persian language evolved over time uh the beginning and the end of the word actually fell off so the the ah was lost and also the 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 k you know the the knock the k dropped and so what was left of the word is borna and um, that's what we find in, in this poem. But Bornab then means old or it means young? Which it means mean? young. The meaning didn't change. But both the fell off, changed. so it had to, both had to fall off in order to create that meaning. If just one fell off, it would have, because like, you would have ah, ah, board. Oh, that's right? so that that's a good question. Um, yeah, I'm not, I'm not sure, but you're right. Um, the, uh, the thing is that even though the meaning has been preserved, so the word the word means the same thing now as it did before, but the form has changed a lot. And we mm -hmm. wouldn't people people who speak Persian today they wouldn't look at that word and say like, oh, I see that this word has has a a suffix or a prefix. They wouldn't see anything like that. Wow. Yeah. And you said it's an it's a, a name for girls in Tajikistan, right? Yes, I met someone who has that name. I met I met people with a lot of interesting names here. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, in Iran also it's a name, but I know I I probably have just known um guys with that name, so it's interesting. Oh, that, wow. Yeah. Interesting. Oh yeah. yeah, sometimes the gender changes. So like um for example, um uh, another example, which is pretty famous, is that um, Ilham. Ilham is a boy's name mm. in Tajikistan. Yeah. Right. In yeah. Iran, it's, it's usually for girls. And for yeah, in Arab, in the Arab world, and in Iran, it's for girls. It could. We should probably uh, wrap it up here because I don't. I think we, if any, if anyone's continued listening through the whole. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we <laughs> like, probably will. Have congratulations. Yeah. Yes, I, I, congratulations. I, uh, I, appreciate anyone who, who could listen to me talk for this long apparently some people can i, I don't believe it. we enjoyed it uh, well yeah I, I enjoyed it a lot